about the A-Leagues, Premier League, and more. This week, the Vuck make an unexpected return to the banter era. The McBulls are top of the league. Listeners, do not adjust your headsets. I repeat, the McBulls are top of the league. World-class Sam Kerr reminds Ballon d'Or voters how good she is. And, of course, I'd be remiss if I wasn't to mention world-class Arthur Masuaku's stunner at the London Stadium. All right, now that I've uh, managed to shoehorn that one in and uh, I can pretty much just wrap the pot up now, really. But uh, no, look, there's there's a lot of football for us to talk about this week. Uh, joining me on the pod is Damo and Jesse. Boys, we're recording on a Monday night tonight this week. Uh, how are you doing on this fine Monday night? I'm good. Uh, the voice is a little bit under the weather for uh, multiple <laughs> reasons, but we'll, we'll crack on. And I'm, you, Jesse? I'm good. I haven't um, sung the D song um, probably, you know, 500 times like you did yesterday, Damo, so um, my <laughs> voice is probably in better shape. Um, but I'm, I'm sure the euphoria made up for it, mate. Yeah, great day. As you can see, I've got the got the Premier's hat on still. <laughs> Damo, I've got to say, I didn't actually realise uh, what you were doing until I saw um, something about it on Twitter yesterday. I didn't realise everyone went to the MCG to watch a replay on the big screen of last year's AFL Grand Final. That's yep. both incredible and incredibly fucked up. <laughs> so nearly 40,000 people went to watch a game from two and a half months ago where oh. we all knew exactly what happened in every moment of the game. Yes, it was great. <laughs> I reckon there would have been 40,000 partners going, Are you going to watch... You're going to the stadium to watch a repeat of it. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Uh, let's get into some football, though. Um, Jesse, what about what about you, Matt? What was your moment of the week? Um, you know, on any usual week, it would be Origi uh, banging in a last-minute winner. But um, I'm going to branch out a little bit here and uh, a hat tip, um, pun intended, to the arrival of the Phoenix uh, with the women's team uh, this week. The double header and the gong. Um, yeah, now that I say that out loud, it does sound a bit weird. But um, yeah, the, the double <laughs> header and the gong and, and the, the early kickoff and then the, the, the men's uh, at 7.30 afterwards or 7.45 afterwards. It was it was great to have two games, same teams playing. But first and foremost, it was wonderful that, um, you know, history was made in the Phoenix field today. A women's team who held, held their own to a, a nil-nil draw, which we'll talk about later on. So yeah, plenty of... Great moments this week, but um, hard to go past that one for me. Nice one. What about you, Damo? Uh, my moment of the week has to be um, Sam Kerr and the Ballon d'Or, uh, top three. Moment of the week? Very understated. I mean, it's it's a moment of the week for the fact that we have an Australian who is considered one of the best three players in the world. It's It's been a very under-stated, kind of under-reported feat that Sam Kerr has achieved. Um, although... We we think she would have we think she should have won and we w- would have loved to have seen that um, wasn't to be but to finish third in a Ballon d'Or is no um, nothing to to scoff at so an incredible achievement. 
So I've got the the makeup of the votes for the, for the Ballon d'Or. So Alexia Patelis, uh, Patelis, uh she got 186 points um, in the votes and Sam Kerr got 46. So a little ways off in terms of the voting. I think second was was not much higher than Sam. So uh, I guess she's she's thereabouts, but still the vast majority of the um, – or the overwhelming majority of the, the pundits seem to think that um, – uh, Alexia deserved the uh, to take out the prize this year. So, well, she me, was a, a superstar in in by far and away the best women's team in the world. So, uh, makes sense. It helps, right? Um, all right. And for me, uh, look, it's been a it's been a big week. There's been a lot of great football going down. Obviously, the Wolves uh, pushed the Mariners all the way in the FFA Cup. The fuck up. Uh, wasn't to be in the end. So I couldn't quite make that my my moment of the week this week. But it was a lot of fun. Um, I have to have to um, use, uh, I guess, kind of like what Jesse would do, and and just use sort of a, a big club result though. Uh, Saturday night's big win against uh, uh, Chelsea for West Ham. I really can't go past that. It was it was a special night. Um, all the boys were there. It was a it was a really good uh, really good turnout at the pub as well. Plenty of people were in song. The beers, the the English beers were flowing as well. Just a just a great fans, night. And, you know, fans were infighting against each other in the pub. I mean, typical, typical scenes. <laughs> I, I actually don't remember that, but uh... <laughs> it was it was uh, me and George. <laughs> <laughs> and and look, I probably do have to have a have a shout out for George. Uh, Chelsea supporting George came to a west. Uh, he's he's in Australia. Uh, only for a couple of weeks while I think he's here for a wedding and also to see his family. And he came to the pub, came to a West Ham pub to watch uh, West Ham beat Chelsea. So I, I think I've probably got to give a shout out uh, to George for, for a moment of the week as well for that. He was, it was a very good sport. <laughs> Thank you. But, uh, <laughs> Jesse, what about you? What didn't you like this week? Oh, guys, like it's pretty hard to to find anything. I mean, when I was when I was really looking for for something to pick out, I, I was thinking a bit about the Phoenix game um, with Sale. I mean, Ollie Sale's been really really great for us, um, and I've, I've there's never really been an opportunity for me to say much bad about him at all. It's just one of those moments which I think you'll learn from as a goalkeeper, where he just made a poor decision, and the Wanderers really struggled to break down the Phoenix, and we'll talk about it a bit later on. But um, that kind of opened the gates to the um, the end result in the end, and, and the Wanderers getting the victory. It was just one of those moments where the goalkeeper really, you know, if you're going to come for the ball, you've you've got to make sure of it or punch it away, and he, he didn't do either. Um, so we ended up conceding from that. So probably if you're, come, you've really, if you're going to come, you've really got to make sure you hit the target. Yeah, that's that's right. Um, so uh, yeah, at least punch it away. So um, yeah, it was it was <laughs> it was. Uh, I'm clasp, you know, I'm grasping at straws a little bit for an own goal of the week, and it's a bit harsh on a goalkeeper to pick him out. But I mean, that's as best as I could do, really. It, it sometimes it is tough uh, some weeks to to find something you don't like uh, in the world of football. But um, I appreciate that, Jesse. Uh, Damo, what about you, mate? What, what didn't you like? Um, it 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 doesn't feel like it only happened about four or five days ago because we've had two rounds of the Premier League and A League in there. But uh, um. For me, my own goal was uh, the, the Qatari government or Qatari representatives uh, assuring the safety of um, LGBTQ people uh, at the World Cup, players, uh, officials, everyone alike, but saying that um, Qatar is a um, 
is a nation where we don't like any sort of public affection. So regardless, we you can come and you'll you will be accepted, but don't kiss in public regardless. <laughs> so for me, that was that was a bit of a um a bit a very big own goal. So uh I mean it's it's, it's just all running down the path of this World Cup is getting worse and worse and we haven't even got anywhere near it yet. Show me uh, like an example of someone missing the point more than the Qatari government when in, in this instance <laughs> where they were like, no, 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 like we're, we're not just against uh, like uh, LGBTQI uh, um, uh, displays of affection. Like we're against all of it. It's like, yeah. what? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, you're, not allowed, you're not allowed to have affection for your football team. <laughs> no, you can just imagine how many like 50 year old shirtless men uh, are going to get locked up after they embrace like the nearest uh, nearest fan at any of the games right Qatari it's going um, to be all over that a few fans just uh going missing you would say oh, at the next world cup <laughs> i mean normally it's just the hosts that go missing but their fans are going to go missing now too <laughs> Uh, all right, as far as my own goal goes, though, I think I, I probably couldn't go past Jude Bellingham's rant after losing to Classica uh, yesterday for, for Dortmund against Bayern. Obviously, a game with plenty of uh, feeling and heat in it, but um, yeah, pretty much after the game or after after there was a late penalty that was given to, to Bayern, uh, Jude Bellingham, who's, I think he's only still like 19 or something, which is incredible because I think he's still played like over 100 games or 100 league games, I'm pretty sure. But he um he, he pretty much alluded uh, or implied that the uh, the referee was corrupt and said that he um um said if uh, the the referee said, what, had previously what, what been mean? accused yeah. be, previously been found guilty of match fixing, what do you expect? And it was like, yeah. whoa! And uh, like, I mean, we always talk about how uh, we wish like players were a little bit more honest and sort of not as not as polished, but. Wowee, I mean, that was next level. <laughs> so uh, off the back of that, which you, you may or may not have seen over the last um, 24 hours, the Jude Bellingham has actually been issued um, a criminal complaint for defamation by the referee um, that he insulted. So, yeah, for an 18-year-old, he's got himself in a bit of stick with uh, with one little one, one little sentence. So we'll see what comes of that. Society, <laughs> society, be yourself. Also society, <laughs> not like that. <laughs> yeah pretty much uh it'd be very interesting to see what dortmund's response is as well i mean they're they're likely to back their player and but and and really i guess it's the player's choice sort of how he responds to this but i think it'd be well advised to say mate take the l and just uh say yeah my bad i i, I take that back and, and issue a public apology and then everyone can get on with their lives i think i think the funniest thing to this um the reaction to the, to what he said is everyone has sort of said, Oh, you, you can't say that, but I mean, he's not wrong because this referee was actually convicted of being a part of a match fixing scandal. So which, which kind of boggles the mind, like how is he still refereeing at the highest level? Right? Like, I mean, I'm probably buying into uh, Bellingham's point a little bit now, but still like, Surely, like, I'm, I'm not surprised that he's still refereeing, but at the very highest level, that kind of does surprise me, I guess, a little bit. Anyway. Mm. All right, um, a few other news items this week. We've we've talked about one half of the Ballon d'Or already with uh, Sam Kerr, obviously, 
pushing Alexia Butelis, uh I'll, I'll kind of say all the way. Um, but look, the 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 men's Ballon d'Or was keenly contested, far more uh, keenly contested than it maybe has been in previous years. Uh, with, of course, Leo Messi him taking out the the men's award, but um, he was on six hundred and thirteen points. But um, Robert Lewandowski, he was very close in second, which um, pretty much for the last ten years it's just been Messi and and Ronaldo just neck and neck, and then. Daylight second, third, fourth, and fifth, um, and then someone else. But um, yeah, Lewandowski obviously went very close. Boys, do you think he he should have been that uh, he was in with a real shout of, of winning it? Obviously, a lot of other people did. What do you guys think? It, it's um, whenever the Ballon d'Or comes around, I think the the most interesting part of the Ballon d'Or is the conversations that come after it, and everyone thinks someone else has been robbed, and everyone has different opinions, and that's the, the glory of football. But at the end of the day, they've compiled the opinions of how many uh, people, and Messi has come out on top of it. So uh, it's sort of hard to argue with. Um, how, however, it's judged. People say it's a popularity contest. Um, maybe it is, but. I mean, it's football's a game of opinions, and and in most people's opinion, Messi was the best. It's it's kind of like the way that that award is run is like they made their bed in a way, and it's like they can't sort of unmake it. Like they've uh, they've given so many players uh, that award over the years based on trophies, and even though there might have been other players in that year that were just like absolute talismans for their team and and carried them to finals, maybe didn't win doesn't matter it's just like for them it's like if you've got the silverware then you've you've got um at least one hand on the uh, the ballon d'or and that's the problem is that um there are players i mean i guess I'm, the, what i'm saying doesn't necessarily apply to Lewandowski because he still won um one silverware but it's just it just seems like one of those things which is kind of like a victim of its past it's like here's the precedence of all the other people that have won it. And that's what you need to live up to. And when you've got the last person was Messi or, or Ronaldo, it's like, well, <laughs> how does Lewandowski do a Messi or Ronaldo in a, in a normal calendar year? It's like, well, he can't. Um, so, I think the yeah. last person to win it outside of Messi or Ronaldo was uh, Kaka. Kaka in 2007. Sorry, so, I lie. It was Modric, which was only, what, three years ago, wasn't it? Two years ago? Uh, don't I think he won FIFA the best award? I don't think he won the Ballon d'Or. Is that what it's called? FIFA the best? Yep, something like that. For <laughs> there, there was a period where there was a period where FIFA actually had a partnership with France Football, and the award was called the FIFA Ballon d'Or. And yeah. then when they split, um, Modric won the FIFA award, and the Ballon d'Or has now taken over again and reigned as as the more supreme trophy. Mm. Mm, fair enough. Boys, were you happy that Lewandowski uh, polled above Jorginho? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, you know, uh, from his mother nation, he should poll above everybody, really, shouldn't he? Um, <laughs> Jorginho, uh, guys, I mean, discuss. What is there to discuss? I think I think he finished uh, like fourth or fifth, and that's probably about right. I think. Goes anonymous for 89 minutes and does a jumpy boy penalty and comes third in the Ballon d'Or. Great assist uh, for the <laughs> for the first goal against um, against Chelsea though. Got to say that was his back pass to to Mendy. Might add. 
Anyway, uh, I'm going to shoehorn West Ham at every opportunity on this pod, uh, and we'll probably have about five listeners by the end of it. But um, <laughs> let's move on, though. Uh, sticking with Sam Kerr, uh, Sam Kerr and the Matildas played against the USA on Tuesday in Newcastle in front of just over 20,000 screaming fans. Uh, great turnout for the fans, but I think they probably would have been a little bit disappointed with the performance. Decent result in the end with a with a one all draw. They they conceded in the first minute, um, and then got a pretty late equaliser. But um, Damo, how how concerned do you think um, we should be about the Matildas heading into the Asian Cup uh, early next year? Um, I, I don't know. It, it, there was a lot to unpack from those couple of games. Obviously, the the first game wasn't great at all. The second game, they looked, um, they looked. The USA just looked like. Um, no one was going to get past them at all. Um, mm. Australia really struggled to break them down, even with some of the best attacking talent in the world, like Sam Kerr, really couldn't couldn't create anything and and probably got a little bit lucky to, lucky to get an equaliser. Um, but in terms of the Asian Cup, there's just no one at the Asian Cup that's going to be on the USA's level. So I think it was good for Australia to play someone like the USA, uh, who are undoubtedly always one of the best countries in the world in women's football and really test themselves against the best before they head off to a tournament where they expect to to come away uh, at least to make the final, if not to win the whole thing. Just going to come in here with a completely uh, outside opinion and also say that I think if you think back to the last major tournament, I think maybe a few of us forget that, I mean, Australia did actually struggle at times to score goals. Um, I think that we sort of just see so many of the players now doing so well in the, in the Premier League and, and outside of that in Europe as well. And they collectively, there's some great players there in that Matilda's team. Mm. But I think that we, as far as, as far as attacking output, it's, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but my sort of memories of the last major tournament was them just sort of like frustrating, getting frustrated by the teams, not scoring the amount of goals that they probably should Kerr mm. scoring penalties or scoring a last minute one to sort of keep them in it. Like it's like they, I think the frustration is that, I mean, and I'm not even a Matildas fan, is that they, they look like they could do a lot better um, up front. Uh, and then sometimes I feel like she sort of carries the team a little bit like that, whereas you need more. I think the team needs to sort of hum more as a unit to get more attacking output. I think I can kind of, I think, ex, um, ex, well, expand a little bit upon, I think, the point that you're trying to make there, Jesse, about how it sort of felt like they've struggled to control the midfield in in some games against top-level um, opponents. And it's meant that Sam Kerr has often been isolated. And, I mean, she's a fantastic player, but when there's not another player for 20 metres around her, it makes it really difficult for her. And she's got a lot, a lot of ground to cover and... Um, it's it's a challenge, I guess, for the for the Matildas as they as they uh, continue to build, I guess, for the the women the World Cup in in twenty twenty three. Just to just to change topic real quickly, uh, but keep it on the Sam Kerr story. Uh, Chelsea played Arsenal in the Women's FA Cup final last night, and Chelsea came away, and Sam Kerr scored an absolute peach of a goal, um, a little dink from inside the eighteen yard box over a keeper who was stranded. Uh, but yeah, another trophy for Sam Kerr and another trophy for Chelsea women. Yeah, you just got off the plane, didn't you? Should have been home. Pretty much. <laughs> Quarantining at the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, on the topic of the World Cup in 2023, I, I never said it that way. I don't know why I said it that way then. But um, uh, the fixtures were announced this week um, with 
Uh, Melbourne, they're going to be getting two games in the round of 16, uh, four group games, uh, and Sydney between the SFS and the Olympic Stadium will get 11 games, uh, including uh, the Matildas opener uh, and first game on match day one. Um, Auckland, meanwhile, will be getting the uh, the first game of the of the tournament, um, the the tournament opener, and also gets a semi final as well. Boys, given that we live in Melbourne, so it's a very Melbourne centric podcast. How disappointed are you that we're we're not going to get uh, any games past the round of sixteen? I I was more shocked by it than than disappointed. Really, um, I was just under the assumption that, that Melbourne would have maybe even a semi final. Um, but yeah, it, it has played out, you know, I'll, I'll end up going to, to a couple of games and I think one of the Matildas games is confirmed to be in Melbourne. So I'm sure I'll get a ticket to that or at least try. Um, but yeah, it's, I guess it, it is what it is. It's in the middle of the AFL season and, um, AFL kind of rules the roost here in Melbourne and, and Vic police have said that they just don't have the capacity to, to, um, to sort of, uh, be able to have more people at, more staff at, at more events. I guess it is it is a big problem for for the AFL. They they do have a lot of a, a big requirement for for police for for just I guess keeping the peace at at, at their games. So um, un- understandable there. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess it is going to be very exciting to see uh, how uh, how tricky it is to get tickets for for uh, the Matildas games in Sydney or or wherever they might end up being, um, depending on how the draw goes. Um, but it, it, I guess it is looking like. Um, either the semis or the final in Sydney, uh, depending on how deep the Matildas go, those are going to be the the most keenly um, keenly sought after tickets since uh, the Asian Cup final in the in, in 2016. So um, the Matildas yeah, could be playing a semi final in Auckland. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awkward? <laughs> oh, you know, they'll they'll get the greatest hospitality, guys. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Roll out the black and white carpet for them. <laughs> All right, boys, uh, let's get into some A-League, shall we? Yeah, we look nice, future looking nice, we don't need to tell them twice. Yeah, we look nice, future looking real nice, we don't need to tell them twice. All right, first up, we're we're going to roll through the games this week um, in reverse chronological order. So first up is uh, the VUC versus Perth. Um, That's a 100% record Melbourne victory uh, hosting uh, Perth Glory, who were on the road without their marquee. And look, everyone was expecting Perth to struggle this season as well. Um, you'd, you'd expect uh, the VUC would have done the glory in a canter, but look, it just wasn't the case. In fact, boys... Banter era Vuck are back, baby. So, uh, look, three cracking goals from Berkey Roy, uh, Kieran Bramwell, and Bruno Fornaroli gave the glory the three points and demonstrated that Popper still has got plenty to do with the Vuck. Boys, is there a better sign that a team didn't play well than some people saying or some fans saying that Lee Broxham uh, earned uh, points in, in their 3 2 1? Yeah, it's not a good look, is it? <laughs> I think he's been at been at the club the whole the whole existence, and he's still polling points in a in a vote count. It's not 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 good, not the best. Look, I, I just thought it was I thought it was great. I, I was on Swan Street, obviously late yesterday, um, leaving the MCG, and it was packed with Melbourne Victory fans about to head off to uh, Amy Park for this game, and you could just feel this um, air of arrogance and confidence 
that Melbourne victories sort of uh, portray when they're playing well and and well within reason. They're a big club that, that win a lot of stuff, but um, it, it couldn't have come at a better time for Melbourne victory to lose the way they did after the, the big ones they've been giving for the first couple of weeks. It was, it was a, quite a gust of wind last night and I could only attribute it to just a huge exhalation coming from, um, uh, you know, where the game was played, just going to rip <laughs> off um, the cool breeze of exhalation and, and also just coming down to earth a bit. Um, but, I mean, boys, we'd be remiss to not actually acknowledge the reason why uh, a lot of them will say they got steamrolled and that's uh, a game-changing uh, red card, which, you know, you can't kick a person in the face. Well, I had a question a, a, about a, this. Go on. So my question was, we posted a tweet a while ago about someone getting a yellow card, and we said, why didn't VAR review that? And we got absolutely blasted for not knowing the rules <laughs> that you can't overturn a yellow card with VAR. So what happened here? He got well, yellow carded originally, and then he went, VAR told him to go and have a look, and he overturned the yellow card to a red card. So what is the rule? Was well, the, they did that in the Premier League as well. We've seen that in the Premier League. I don't remember the exact incident that that was in question, but I guess the difference with this one was this one was upgraded from a yellow to a red, and and that's the important difference here was that they said no, no, it's it's not whether this is a yellow or not a yellow. This was uh, whether or not it should have been a straight out red card. And boys, uh, I guess I got a follow up question for you: which red card was worse, Roy Donovan on Lawrence Thomas or Ramachan on uh, Sunday? Was the the Royal Donovan's the one that left um, Earthworm Jim with the strapping around his head, right? That's the yeah, one. That, yeah, the one. Yeah, that was that was pretty bad. He had like stud marks in his cheek. I'm I'm gonna stick with that. <laughs> Boo! You won't bite. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty pretty bad. Boys, uh, question from listener as well. Through house, uh, he asks, "Who would you rather fight, Steve McGarry or Kurt Ams?" I'd, I'd probably go home. Leave them to fight each other. <laughs> Yeah, just say you wouldn't believe what he said about you in this league. <laughs> Boys, we, we haven't talked a huge amount about the actual game and uh, only haven't caught the the highlights myself. Uh, I do have to say that uh, I wanted to throw out about the, the XG of this game and it was um, 0.53 to 0.67. So uh, I've got to say that this, although the score did kind of blow out a little bit, this was not two teams creating heaps of fantastic opportunities. So, look, if there is one thing that uh, maybe the VUC can, uh, can, can hold up um, in, in their own court about this performance and, and I guess moving forward is that um, they, they still didn't really give Perth a lot of opportunities in the, in the second half when they were down to 10 men. So um, I think as much as we joke about the VUC and that's kind of an embarrassing result, especially against Perth and, and this Perth team, um, I think it's. Uh, I think we need to wait and see and, and see how they go next week um, to 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 really um, get an idea of how they're going to be going this season. Yeah, and to be fair, it took a it took a few spectacular goals to make that scoreline. I think Burke Gilroy's strike in uh, to open the scoring was brilliant, and and Fornaroli replicated his his opening weekend goal, maybe just with a a little bit a little bit less height on it. So yeah, two two fantastic goals and and Burke Gilroy with a with a great uh, width in cross for us for the second goal as well. So yeah, they're all brilliant goals and that's kind of what, the only thing that really broke victory down. 
If, if there's one great thing as well about this round of A-League was that um, the, the goal of the week is actually going to be really tricky this week, right? Because you had Burke Gilroy, his uh, effort, uh, Fornaroli's absolute banger, and then uh, I really liked the uh, the goal in the MacArthur Mariners game. I thought that was an absolute peach of a goal, just purely not not so much the goal itself, but just Danny De Silva just putting um, uh, Runtonik just on his ass on halfway. I thought that was fantastic, but look... Um, he, he sent him back to Campbelltown. <laughs> yeah. Who's going to claim Guru as their boy? I mean, it's just a you know, it's a ticking time bomb, isn't it? Did, didn't going? someone? I thought someone would have. Yeah, yeah, I, don't yeah know. I don't recall anybody <laughs> guessing him up, so I feel like he's he's a, he's um, what are you saying? Draft? He's a free agent. <laughs> Wasn't he at um, Brisbane last season? Yeah, he was on an injury replacement contract at Brisbane. They signed him from, I think he was at Hume or, or one of the Victorian NPL clubs he was at and he was at Brisbane for about eight weeks and then uh, just didn't sign a first-team contract and now he's gone to Perth and he's been brilliant. So our loss. You didn't want him. Got, and we've got Jack Hingott, so love that. <laughs> All right, I've kind of already uh, transitioned into the MacArthur uh, Mariners game nicely, and I've already probably mentioned the best part about the game as well, which was um, uh, Danny De Silva skinning Tongik on halfway, and uh, then they ended up playing it through, and, and Bazanic, he uh, uh, was credited with the own goal, but arguably harshly so, because I think um, it, it probably should have been Davila who actually got credited with the goal, truth be told, but Anyway, this is why I guess it's I think that was off that target, wasn't it? I thought if, it was on you, target, but I mean, if, if I didn't see it the, from behind. If you look at the shot from behind, it looked like he, he dragged it pretty wide. So I think that's the criteria for an own goal. Yeah, all right, yeah, fair enough. You've got to take the rough with the smooth when you're living Davila Loka. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I guess, look, this was uh, this was an interesting game for a couple of reasons. Uh, the McBulls played this one at Penrith, which is a whopping 50Ks from their regular home. Sorry, did you say town. did you say Penrith? Penrith, there, the Rift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is <laughs> like, I mean, that's also firmly Wanderers territory as well. Which I mean, it's just a bit, bit average. Um, but having said that, though, it, it is a good size stadium, and I did see a couple of brown patches, and like the the pitch didn't look the didn't look ideal. Probably still a lot better than Campbelltown, though. So, um, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, but look what else. So uh, interesting factoid about this game as well. You had Mark Gibirigidi who was suspended for, for that absolutely just piece of violence midweek in the FFA Cup. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think he just basically sort of threw, a, threw the shoulder in the general direction of a player. Um, but Yaron Souza, who uh, who's the Mariners' second choice uh, goalkeeper, he, he went off injured after 20 minutes. So, um, and let's be honest, most most A League teams don't have three goalkeepers, or they they might have a young player like a an 18 year old who could be the third goalkeeper. But um, it did mean that the Mariners sent on Lawrence Caruso, who um, as as much as I could scour the internet, couldn't find out how old he was. So he's I'm, 17. I'm going to assume it. Right, thank yeah, you. There you go. Thank you. 17 years old. I was watching the the mini match of this earlier, and I mean, he had a, he had a couple of dodgy moments with crosses, but he made two 17, brilliant right? saves. He made mm. two brilliant saves, and uh, yeah, did did really well for a 17 year old who was having no expectation to play any first team games all season. Has been thrust into a game and played, you know, over over 40 minutes of of a game 
um, A League level in round three. So yeah, good on him. Almost seventy minutes. Yeah. So um, fantastic stuff for him. And uh, I mean, this is how Matty Ryan got his start at the Mariners as well, right? I think he was only eighteen. So um, you you never know. We could have unearthed the the next um, Matty Ryan sort of inadvertently this weekend. So remember the name, Lawrence Caruso. (laughs) Um, Boys, I I mentioned at the the top as well. Um, The Bulls with two wins and a draw are top of the league. Did you have this on your bingo card? I'll, I'll say Jesse certainly didn't. Perhaps <laughs> <laughs> I've got beef with that club. <laughs> oh gosh! And boys, a bit of a stat as well. So Adelaide, the Wanderers, and the Bulls are three un, are the three unbeaten teams um, at the moment. Uh, although Adelaide haven't actually won a game yet, so got to take that with a little bit of grain of salt, though. So yeah. Um. Next up, uh, Sydney, they hosted Newcastle Jets in a really fun game on Saturday night at Cogra. Uh, LaFondra opened the scoring for Sydney from the penalty spot. Um, then he set up Elvis Cam Sober uh, for Sydney's second. Yep, that's right. Elvis Cam Sober is scoring goals now. Um, Sydney were up 2-0 after 35 minutes and looked to be cruising. Um, but then the game kind of got away with, on them a little bit in the second half with uh, Pena uh, sliding one through to Tino Yule. Um, I, I don't know when he suddenly become Tino instead of Valentino, but <laughs> uh, but look, he slipped one through past uh, Redmayne after VAR interference um, to uh, rule the goal was onside in the end. Um, and then Yule again popped up with another fantastic finish on the counter um, to, to level things up. But there was still pretty much half an hour of the game to go. And you would have thought um, City maybe could have gone through the gears and and found another goal. but And, and they thought they had um, on about the 76th minute. But um, VAR ended up chalking one, this one off for offside. Um, everyone thought it was a goal. Everyone had gone back to halfway and was ready to kick off. And, and then, yeah, VAR got involved. And, um, in fact, even other Papas even had a triple sub ready to go. And um, I don't think he ended up going through with it, but... Boys, what would you have done? You're ready to go with a triple sub and then pretty much the whole scenario gets sort of uh, thrown thrown up in the air. What do you do? Do you make the triple sub or do you um, do you just go, all right, no, I need, need a few minutes to, to reassess here? What's your game management strategy? Well, I, I think you'd have, you'd have to pull away from the subs and, and think about what you're going to do again because you're making a change to, to try and change the game and now the game has already changed. So, yeah, I think you probably... <laughs> Boys, boys, get your jackets. Put your jackets back on. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, sit back down. <laughs> All those 18-year-olds going, yes, I'm going to get a game. But, yeah, I think, well, um, not the case. <laughs> my favourite moment from this game, um, and it would be remiss of us to not mention that um, our friend Robbie Thompson on comms really putting mayo on Adam Lefondre again. Oh. <laughs> I thought you said – did you say Archie Thompson then or did you say no, Robbie, Robbie Thompson? <laughs> All right. Because I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I find myself because uh, Robbie Thompson, he, he is a little bit sort of, he's a bit vanilla compared to some of the other A League commentators. But that just him, him rolling out sort of uh, a little bit sort of off, off uh, a little bit left of center sort of remarks like like that. It shows he's got like a little. There's a there's an interesting sense of humor in there, but it's it's subtle. It's, it doesn't really slap you in the face. And they were really, they were really pumping up Tino Yule, and he oh, and Andy oh. Harper were both every time he touched the ball, Tino, Tino Yule. 
But Jesus. just a quick note on, on, on Tino Yule. Hasn't he been on absolute fire so far this year? Arguably one of the best players in the league so far, in my opinion. He's absolutely I mean, only, killing it. Only three weeks, but... In fact, uh, boys, I mentioned in the group chat today about how I'm, I'm playing A League Fantasy this year, just to kind of get 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 my head around how how it all works and uh, and the like, and in preparation, I guess for for next year when when everyone goes all in on on A League Fantasy. But um, Tino Yule, he was he was the big uh, uh, he he had the biggest price rise out of any player this week in the first week of price rises. So so there you go. You got to <laughs> put the captain on him next week. Uh, I'd have to bring him into my team first. Um, <laughs> like I said, I don't know how this all works. Apparently, he's good. Um, boys, on the topic of Sydney, uh, they've only well, they sorry, I don't know how many games they've they've won or lost, but um, Sydney are missing some of that control that Bratton would previously provide, though. Um, and with Bratton out for the rest of the season, they they could still sign an injury replacement. Um, there's Barmyohan who they just let go of. He could come in and do a job. Maybe he's not quite a Bratton like for like. Uh, Adrian Merzhevsky, uh, uh, ex-Sydney player, he was um, on social media just, uh, I think, about a week ago talking with a couple of Sydney players saying, yep, basically, come and, come and get me. Um, and obviously, James Ferrosi, he's not playing much at the moment as well. Um, and then you've also got Jack Wilshire. He was sort of in the news this week as well. So would you would you take any of them if, if you were the city manager, if you were Steve Corica? Well, the, the first three are polar opposite players of Luke Bratton, so I don't think they'd be considered at all uh, as as a replacement for him. But Jack Wilshire, it's a great shout that I didn't, uh, didn't even consider. He's um, Maybe Jack Rodwell can convince him to, to come to Sydney. Jack Wilshire got a he got an Aussie girl as well, does he? <laughs> <laughs> Doubt it. <laughs> maybe you've got to work on that first. Get him an Aussie girl first, and then then maybe he'll come out. Uh, do a do a Max Rushton slash um, Jack Rodwell. <laughs> um, boys, uh, favourite Sydney and Melbourne City uh, for the A League crown this year have a combined six points um, from the first um, six matches and the first three rounds. How good is the A League? This is why I hate doing our uh, A-League preview pod and publishing our predictions on the internet because uh, it's nearly impossible to get them right year on year. Just make a fool out of us every week. <laughs> tipping, um, uh, tipping's pretty tough and certainly tougher for me when I forget to put them in. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you'd probably do better. I think you, I think if you forget to put them in, you're automatically assigned the away team win. So I think uh, you're, probably, you're probably doing better than the people who tried to guess <laughs> them right. <laughs> Boys, uh, Melbourne City hosted Western United on Saturday night. We, we were at this one um, at Amy Park. Really fun game. Game was played at a really high intensity. Um, look, some players did better than others, though. Uh, Matthew Leckie is one of the players that didn't do so well. Looks out of form, looks out of fitness. Um, and to be honest, I, I think he looks unbefitting in Melbourne City, let alone the Socceroos, uh, based off of the, his current form the last few weeks. What should City do? I'm glad I'm not. Five arrows in me, um, considering that I, um, you know, gassed him up uh, to win Didn't... the Johnny Warren. Um, so at this point, um, MacArthur doing well and Leckie's an absolute spud. So um, <laughs> things aren't looking great in my corner. Oh, dear. Um, 
Boys, uh, I did notice that um, – I should mention the score in this one. Uh, Western United did end up taking out the win uh, 1-0 with Dylan Wenzel Hall. Um, Demo, your boy and, and Colby's boy from from the Raw, he got the the solitary goal on this one. But I did notice that there was there was a few moments where uh, some of the father figures in the squad, in, in Alessandro Diamanti and Neil Kenny, they, they were really getting around uh, Dylan Wenzel Hall who do you think would be a better father figure for Dylan Windsor Hall, Diamante or, Kil- or Kilkenny? Well, I think I like Diamante would be the um, the fun uncle. And <laughs> the father figure I'm going to put out there is Lacroix at the back. <laughs> oh. Because um, Lacroix was absolutely sensational all night, Tommy. He, we I just tell had you to shoot one in how well he played, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> if if Dylan Windsor Hall didn't behave himself, you'd know that he would absolutely crucify him, wouldn't he? <laughs> That's right. He's the sort of the, the, the intimidating father figure. Mm. Well, as I mentioned the XG in the in the VUC game, this one uh was was 1.26 to 0.34. Uh so far more in City's favour. Did the Woo get away with one here? I don't know. Um, it was a great finish from um, from Dylan Wenzel Halls and and quite early on in the game. And I think, and we were talking about it at the game. It really puts uh, the onus on Melbourne City to to really break them down. And and there's a lot of pressure both internally from the fans that build. There's an expectation that they'll come back and win the game. And you could almost feel that sort of pressure building the longer the game went on without City getting a real sort of clear-cut chance at goal. And and the Woo were brilliant defensively from from when they scored. Um, so I think it would be unfair on them to say that they got away with one. I think they went into the game with a game plan. You're not going to go toe-to-toe with Melbourne City. You've got to win any way you can. And I think they did a brilliant job. And, um, yeah, I, I think it was a great tactical game. And and all props to, to John Aloisi as a manager that gets a lot of stick for having no tactics. It, it, John, exactly. John Aloisi. Tactical genius. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's easy to be a tactical genius, though, when you're up 1-0 and you're like, all right, we're going to manage this out. I mean, it's like it was the perfect um, start for the Woo. And, uh, yeah, you're right, Damo. The game, we were saying that. We were, the other thing that we were talking about was the fact that just the style of play that City was just playing straight into the Woo's hands. Like, they were just constantly trying to go down the side. Um, even when players were sort of on the edge of the box and probably could have even taken a shot, they're like, no, the system says that I need to get it out wide and then we're going to cross it in. And um, The reason why I was making the shout-out to big number four for the Woo um, earlier on was because he, he he was so prominent because his job was to clear ball after ball after ball, and it was just that's his job. But he should, if you really want to beat the Woo in that instance, you've got to take the centre-backs out of the game. Like They were just basically um, doing what they want to do, which is just clear balls coming in from the side of the box. So it became predictable. It became lethargic. And um, I think touching on Damo's point, it kind of shows how vulnerable these teams uh, can be when they go behind instead of having it their way and, and starting on, like a house on fire. It's, it's, it's actually it, – it requires a different set of um, skills and um, – resilience to, to come back after you've gone down from an early goal. So that'll be interesting to see how City bounce back. Can can we already just label uh, the Woo's big number four as the A-League's Virgil van Dyke, the big Rolls Royce at the back? I may have said that on, on uh, Saturday <laughs> <night>. <laughs> Say it on the pod, coward. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm too busy saying La Croix. <laughs> 
All right. Um, Brisbane, they hosted Adelaide in the sweltering heat uh, up in Brisbane on Saturday in the earlier game. Um, unfortunately, the action on the pitch wasn't as hot as the game uh, with this one finishing scoreless. Um, Ivanovic missed a tap-in and Stefan Mork went close as well for Adelaide hitting the post um, and then rebounded off uh, goalkeeper Macklin Freak. Um, Harvey Norman Lopez uh, was shown a red card with 10 seconds left in the game for a second yellow though and that has got to be one of the stupidest things I've seen all weekend because it was a completely unnecessary tackle, let alone yellow card and for him to get sent off as well is just stupid. Maybe he doesn't want to travel next weekend although Adelaide probably have a home game. Like um, someone having an argument with a bouncer at like 3 a.m. and you just yeah. like, just, just walk away, bro. Just go home. Just walk away. Just go home. <laughs> I'm going to give this guy a piece of my mind. And you're just like, you know, see you later. Boy, Damo, question for you. Uh, at uh, Feely's Nabi Lad, he asks, is there any hope for the Raw? I think there is. I think um, – I, I think I – I feel like I've been repeating myself week after week um, that there has to come a time soon where this that they play good patches of football at times and people come off the back of a game and say, oh, you know, they, they could be good. They could be good. And it's almost feeling like that that time has now come to an end. And if they don't get any if they don't get a result next week um, and the week after Warren Moon's job could be gone by Christmas. So. Um, or at least by the new year when when fixtures start to pile up around that period. So, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on Warren Moon um, for being a very reactive kind of manager. He's brought a lot of young players in with very little A-League experience. It's it's a very MPL experience, heavy heavy side. Um, the youth players, uh, it, it's good to see them getting some game time and there's some promising players there, but there really seems like there's, there's parts missing and they can't string a full game of good football together. They, they mm. play great football in patches, but it's just not good enough at that level. Fair enough. Um, boys, there was a big head clash in, in this one in the raw box um, between Stefan Mork and, and one of the uh, the raw players. Uh, I've got to throw it out there. I don't think there's a harder head in the A-League than Stefan Mork. So who do you think would win in a fight, Stefan Mork's head or Ramachan's foot? <laughs> Stefan Mork's head could win in a fight against a brick wall. So I'm going to go with that. <laughs> yeah, and then Suchek out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. And look, finally on Friday night, Wellington, uh, they hosted the Wanderers kind of um, in Wollongong. Uh, first game of the round. Jesse, as our resident Knicks fan, uh, were you more disappointed with the results or were you more positive about the performance? Oh, yeah, it's like there were actually periods of that game in the first half where the, the Phoenix made the Wanderers look really average. And I think mm. the Wanderers fans would actually say the same because I hopped on the tour at halftime and they're basically just like there was a lot of them that were just like, okay, so at what point do we just say Robinson out? And they were blowing up, yeah. They were not happy. Um, so I think that, you know, we can probably agree on that. But the second half... Um, there definitely were periods where the um, the Wanderers picked it up, and then the, the 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 Knicks really notably sort of tired after about the seventy minute mark, or maybe their inexperience started to show, and I, it was quite obvious because the Wanderers hadn't been able to play direct all night, but all of a sudden they were threading passes through the midfield and and, and actually making it like look really quite paper thin. Um, so in the ends, they they probably deserved uh, that goal. Um, the Knicks 
I think the Knicks deserved a goal as well, but their their sort of time had passed and they hadn't taken their opportunities, which as I said to you, I say this every week. Um, you know, they are the Bryson of the of the A-League, basically. <laughs> create a lot and just can't quite put it away. But um the last goal, obviously, you know, uh, goalkeeper's gone up for it and the ball's gone away and the guys are on the length of the pitch and scored. So the, the scoreline maybe flatters them a little bit, but I think in, in, in all in all, uh, it, maybe it should have been a 1-1, but I think that you just have to give it to the Wanderers for the fact that they were clinical and we weren't, and I can't sort of criticise them for that. Um, and it was it was just a goalkeeping error, really, that separated them in the end. So a bit of a shame. You, you mentioned, uh, like, um, the Wanderers' performance there, and it's it's probably an opportune time to give them a, a little bit of a, a shout-out for maybe the, the, the quality of their performance. Um, the Wanderers' fans, they were pretty scathing at halftime and I thought um, it could be summed up pretty well in, in, in one tweet which I'll paraphrase which was that um, patience seems to be running out with Robo Ball. He's had two full pre-seasons. He's, he's got his own carefully curated squad and like he should have all of the ingredients to to make this work now. By, by now this should be like a, a top four if not top two side and I mean it, it's just not. It's still... Like I think this team is going to struggle to make finals based off of their performances so far this season. So, um, be very disappointed, I guess, if if I was a Wanderers fan. But look, still, I guess the the thing about the A League is that just because you play poorly in the first three weeks doesn't necessarily mean you're going to play like that for the rest of the season. So, we'll have to see what happens from here. But look, uh, we're going to talk a little bit of Premier League now. I'm on Two full rounds of the Premier League have been played, uh, save for one match, which is Arsenal versus Everton to be played tomorrow morning, Australian time. Uh, so, look, we, we can't talk about all 19 games, but we will pick out um, some of the better ones. Um, and, look, I think you all know that I'm going to be talking about West Ham versus Chelsea first because um, I think you would all agree, even even West Ham fans would have to say that this was the match of the round uh, or at least the, the results or the finale of the round. Um, this game had it all, um, headed goals, penalty goals, goalkeeper errors galore, shithousery, um, at least localised in the pub we're at. It had songs and, and beers at the pub. It had a comeback, had a freak goal at the end, and there was even a little bit of po- uh, poetry courtesy of Chelsea social media. Roses are red, violets are blue, West Ham have scored, Masawaku, which um, I don't think they meant to do that, but it, it put a smile on my face anyway. Um <laughs> Boys, uh, look, plenty of quality in in this game, and uh, I think the uh, Chelsea fans probably would have been pretty disappointed, not just with the result, but I think with also with the performance. I think um, we, we've said how good they've been at controlling matches for the last, uh, geez, the last probably twelve months since um, Tuchel's come in, but it, it finally felt like their lack of. Um, uh, I guess pointy end uh, success, whether it be Werner or uh, Lukaku, that 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 kind of finally came and bit them on the backside, and they weren't able to control the game in the same way that maybe they would have been previously as well. Um, boys, a couple of observations. Uh, in fact, no. So first up, uh, Joe Cole. Uh, he mentioned he, he called Arthur Masuaku, called him world class. What do you make of that? 
I think when uh, when I was told about this piece of footage, I said I don't want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a bit that way. Um, but look, uh, like I like I mentioned before, that this game really had a, a couple of uh, great finishes, but also had a couple of hours from a goalkeeper as well, or or just moments where the goalkeeper maybe should have done better. You had Fabianski um, where he let Mason Mount score at the back post. Um, probably should have done better there. Obviously, you've got um, Silver's header as well where Fabianski does get a hand to it and probably should have done better, I think. Um, and then, obviously, you've got Mendy's uh, worst performance in a Chelsea uh, kit by some way. Um, gave away the penalty needlessly when he probably just could have put it out first time. Um, obviously, there's uh, the the freak goal um, that, that Masawaku hit. Um, and then also... Um, I think Mandy probably could have done better, although maybe it's a bit more forgivable, um, the the Bowen strike as well. So um I'll tell you what, mate, if we judge it on your criteria, there'd be no goals in the Premier League every weekend. <laughs> I mean I, you yeah. know, I, I I think we need to look more at the quality of the the strikes rather than the goalkeeping errors because I mean the Bowen shot was just a beautiful hit. Um going back further, like the mount shot was a beautiful hit. Um, I, I don't think you can criticise your keeper too much for that. I think maybe I, for the Thiago, Thiago Silva, you could say maybe a little bit soft, but still, like, um, they weren't howlers by any means on Fabianski's side. But it's, it's not Mendy's fault that uh, Thiago Silva was, no one was within an arm's length of him when he got ahead on that ball. So it's like, who who was marking him at all? Um, but if, mm. we, if we want to talk about the last goal, uh, the MTAG favourite cross come shot, um, I'm not sure if you guys have seen Masuaku's tweet. Have you seen it? Uh, Masuaku, he tweeted, so was it a cross or a shot? And then a couple of laughing faces. And then in bracket, hint, I was just as surprised as you. Uh. <laughs> so I think that answers your question. <laughs> I wish he hadn't have said. I wish he hadn't just left us guessing. Yeah. So most <laughs> most players are very coy with it, and they, they just say, oh, I don't know. <laughs> but he, he's clearly admitted that it was a cross. <laughs> they they say that um, Arthur Matuaku is like the best player on the training pitch. And uh, I mean, he's had... Yeah, he's well gloved. I wouldn't even say he's he's been stop-start in a West Ham jersey. I'd say he's just been stop and sort of in neutral. Um, but I mean, he is capable. Like there was that um, that moment of skill against uh, Spurs a couple of years ago, where he kind of did like an elastico around a Spurs player. So, like he is capable of just weird things on a football pitch, and and most of the time they're they're not good. But um, I mean, every so often he's capable of pulling out something just bizarre and incredible as well. So good for him. Um. Boys, a uh, question for the two of you. Josh uh, Watson wants to know if West Ham can maintain their place in the top four. I think at the moment, uh, if you if you look at the, the top of the league, the top three are probably going to be far and away by the end of the year. And that fourth spot is really the best of the rest sort of thing. And uh, at the moment, yes, I think, I think West Ham are probably the best of the rest and they've got some good results against um, teams above them and teams around them. So I think that's really... The indicator of who will finish uh, fourth, and West Ham are being the, doing the best at getting points um, against teams around them. So, yeah, from from all indicator, I think West Ham can hold on. But uh, yeah, we'll 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 see, won't we? 
West Ham are, are still able to to draw with with Brighton and lose to Wolves, and so far this season they've they've beaten City on penalties, albeit in the League Cup. Um, they've beaten Liverpool, Man United, Chelsea, Spurs, and Leicester. So yeah, like you say, um, Damo, they they are doing very well at taking points uh, off of uh, the teams around them. So um, shaping up um, Arsenal versus West Ham in I think three weeks time or two weeks time to be a, a very very crucial fixture for both teams. Um, moving on though, Newcastle, they hosted Burnley and Newcastle won a game. How incredible is that? Uh, so look, probably normally wouldn't have Newcastle and Burnley being the second game on the run sheet. Uh, but look, I think it'd be remiss if we didn't celebrate, um, the final team getting off the mark in the win column this season. Uh, wasn't a particularly pretty win. Uh, Callum Wilson did, uh, he scored the goal, uh, for Newcastle, um, after Nick Pope's howl where he just seemed to sort of kind of catch the ball and then throw it. Um, but look, you you can only um, score the goals that are that are put in front of you. Um, January is looking like it's going to be really crucial for, for Newcastle. I think uh, we know that they can score goals, um, but we are going to need to see if they can find a way to keep goals out and find some sort of control in midfield for um, for, for, for Newcastle. But look, the other thing I did want to mention that um, with Newcastle winning a game, it's now Levante and uh, Guther Firth. Uh, they're still the only two teams in the top five uh, teams in Europe. Uh, sorry, top five leagues in Europe and the, the top four leagues in England to have not won a game. So uh, congratulations, Newcastle. This morning, Manchester United, they hosted Crystal Palace in Ralph Rangnick's first game in charge. And, I mean, the, the banter just doesn't stop with Manchester United, does it? Fred, of all people, he scored the first goal of the Ralph Rangnick era, era um, at Manchester United with a curling shot over Vicente Gaeta um, to give Manchester United the three points. Uh, curiously, Ralph Rangnick said after the game he was very pleased with Ronaldo's pressing efforts. Um, and agreed with the reporter when he said it will shut up some of the headlines. So um, he seems like a bit of a character, doesn't he, old old Ralph? Uh, yeah. I saw um, Fred Imsham. Fred Imsham? <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, t- trending on Twitter uh, this morning. I was a little bit nauseous at that point, but um, it's uh, there's a lot of, lot of people quick to sort of jump back on the Fred wagon. Look, I... I've always liked Fred. I think. Well, I think, uh, <laughs> I think um, it, it was interesting. I think it was interesting to watch Fred because um, obviously ha- Rangnick's changed the formation, and and Fred in mm. this game, as a lot of people have said before, is far more suited to playing that that role as more of an eight than a six. Uh, if you want to put numbers on positions, uh, he he likes to have, do that third man running where he, he gets into the box late. Um, if, if you want a, a comparison, is is the poor man's Ramirez um, for the way Ramirez used to play at Chelsea, where he would he would get into the box late, and and that's really what Fred is best at doing, and hasn't been really able to do because United don't have a six, and he's he's really had to take that role on. So it'll be interesting to see how he comes along um, playing in a bit of a different role. Yeah, I think. Um... To I guess just expand upon that, I think part of the problem has been that Manchester United haven't, they still don't have a six, right? It looks like um, uh, Scott McDominay, it looks like he's going to be playing alongside Fred uh, in like a double pivot. But 
Um, I mean, tactically, I, I thought the most interesting thing about um, Ralph Ernick's uh, side was that, I mean, this was a this was a carbon copy of what Hassenhudel has been doing for the last what two three years at uh, Southampton. It was it was four two 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 with two strikers, two deep lying midfielders, and kind of like two. It's like tens slash wingers um, that have got a little bit of freedom to sort of move around and kind of do do their thing, but they have to work really hard at pressing as well. So um, it, it also doesn't make any. Um, it's not a huge surprise as well with Hassan Hoodle. Um, he was bookended uh, by Ralph Ranick at um, at RB Leipzig for um, with two 12 month stints. So uh, we know where Hassan Hoodle has, has learned all of this from. And so it'd be interesting to see uh, how those two teams go when they actually play each other later on this season. So, boys, uh, Manchester United, they play the bottom three plus Brentford and Brighton in December. Very gentle set of fixtures. Are you expecting this to begin a good run of form for Man United or you think they'll have a few blips and, uh, and, and maybe drop points? Uh, not on the semi regular, but. What are your thoughts? I think they they sort of carefully planned when they were going to appoint this this interim manager because this interim manager is going to come in now with a run of fixtures that are and expected to be very winnable games. And if he comes off the back of four wins from from four games, then everyone's in love with him, and, and United feel like they're on top of the world again. So uh, they've they've really held off making this decision to to sack Ollie and then appoint an interim manager. And they've kind of done it all at the perfect time, really. So uh, credit to Man United where, um, you know, this is probably one of the best decisions they've made since the post Sir Alex Ferguson era. Until they, uh, since they appointed Moyes, arguably. No, no bites. <laughs> um <laughs> Boys, uh, Wolves, they hosted Liverpool in a game that uh, threatened to, to get away on Liverpool a little bit as this one sort of drifted at nil all for quite some time. Jesse, Liverpool fan, you, you stayed up late for this one after after getting home from the pub on, on Saturday night. Uh, did you always feel like Liverpool were going to gonna find a winner or you, you felt like this game was going to stay nil all? No, I, um, I had that sinking feeling after about the 60-minute mark that it was just going to be one of those games where you try everything and it doesn't work and I basically resign myself to that. But I am a bit of a tragic when it comes to like at the end of games, I always believe even if it's the 93rd minute and there's 94 minutes on the, I, I still think that a team can win. I it's, it, it's sort of like, you know, not to the fat lady sings kind of thing. And it really was pretty much the last attacking move of the game um, when Van Dyke chose to hit that diagonal. And at first you're like, Oh, you know, like, we could be just seeding possession here, but then you see him cut out about four Wolves players in one pass, <laughs> um, and then obviously you see what happens next with the Reggie. But yeah, there were a lot of fist pumps um, watching it in bed with me pods on. Um, you know, were you singing? I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe that we will win. Um, <laughs> no, um, but um, that is something that I, I will add to the locker, and I will use it at some stage, Tommy. Yeah. <laughs> But no, it was, it was. I, I think the last time this sort of happened with Liverpool, as far as um, wins like this, is kind of like Aston Villa a year or two ago, where we were, you know, one, I think we were one 0 down with about five or six minutes to go, and we scored two late goals to win it. Um, similar feeling to it, like much more like that title-winning year where we were actually, you know, showing a bit of steel to win these games. And considering that Chelsea has been kind of setting the benchmark for that so far, 
um, you need to win these games. Like you, you really can't, especially when Chelsea drops points. I mean, I can't, I'm not unrealistic and think that we can win every week, but I think that when your rivals lose, you kind of need to take advantage. So. And, and take advantage you did with, with Chelsea, obviously dropping points as well. But look, uh, Southampton, they hosted Brighton and Southampton looked to have all three points uh, lined up, but Brighton managed to, to find a, an equaliser through Neil Mal, uh, Malpay, uh, pulling a rabbit out of his hat uh, late on in the game. Jesse, if if uh, Wellington are the Brighton of the A-League, then who is Wellington's Neil Malpay? Um, I'd say Ball. <laughs> um, I, I think he just you know, promises so much and then just, you know, doesn't score as much as he probably should. Um, Mal paid to a T. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're, I don't, like, give, don't get me wrong, they're not like-for-like like players in any means, but I think if, you, if he's probably the closest person I can think of that's kind of under underperforming what he should be. Yeah. yeah. Well, Boys, Brighton uh, haven't won, uh, won in their last five games and they're still in the top half of the league, so a bit of a bad spell. Uh for Potter, yeah, like I guess they're they're really uh, wow. Sorry, missed that. Um, they're they're really benefiting from that that positive start. I mean, if they hadn't had that good start, I mean, wow, he'd be under some real pressure by now. I mean, it's probably only really um, it's uh, what uh, Raf Benitez is taking the heat off of him. But look on on the positive side of this game, Southampton doing bits like they got another point after drawing with Leicester midweek as well. They're up to fourteenth, and they could be as high as eleventh if not for goal difference. So, um, yeah, Southampton, Jesse, you, you, you're hating just, this, aren't you? This gets worse for my predictions. Just don't back anything <laughs> I say, lads. Um, unbelievable. Another year, Southampton's done it again. Yep, the plumbers just like circling the drain and, and just never go down. <laughs> boys Watford hosted City um, City could have they look like they could have racked up an absolute cricket score here and Watford did well to only keep it to three um, Bilva uh, was on fire with a, a double here um, boys is Bilva the best player in the Premier League after Salah and Rice he, he's up there with with some of the best players in the league it's it's hard to go past uh, Salah uh, don't know about it <laughs> I don't know about rice, but Whoa. I mean, harsh you know, on harsh on deck is there. You can't judge everybody based on you know an acapella performance in a Twitter space. Okay, let's talk football. <laughs> let's talk football. Fair. Um, something like we've we've talked about um, about Danny Rose on the pod before, uh, and Bilva was another player who made him look absolutely terrible again. I think if. If Watford are going to be doing any business in the transfer window this January, they've got to find a new left back if they are going to have any hope of staying up. Because, I mean, Danny Rose, he, he looks non-league at the moment. He was terrible again. If, if you're so. going to put him out of his misery, you're going to have to use yeah. the silver yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, grim. Um, Leeds, they hosted Brentford in uh, an absolute roller coaster of a game. Leeds looked like they were coasting at 1-0. Um, but two second-half Brentford goals made it appear as though the result was slipping away from them. Uh, but alas, Patrick Bamford, upon his return from injury, equalised at the death, uh, while Islam Meslier was also up for the corner. Um, both teams kind of look to be disappointed with the result after leading at stages of the game. But, Damo, you've got a bit of a take on this, don't you, about uh, about uh, Leeds' reaction to the scoreline? 
Yeah, you said both teams looked a bit disappointed. I think it's the complete opposite. If you see uh, the way Leeds, the players, the fans, everyone celebrated in a home game, scoring a last-minute equaliser against a promoted lower mid-table side, um, it's not a good sign for Leeds, although they've got a couple of points in the last few weeks, which have been huge points. Um, they've been circling that relegation zone and, and yeah, huge, huge couple of points for Leeds. So it's probably more, more the fact that they've been able to pick up points again um, when they haven't been picking up many points lately at all. So it's, it's probably more than that than, than the context about me just liking, <laughs> liking to shit on Leeds. <laughs> so uh, Leeds have been doing a Southampton recently by circling the drain the last few weeks. but Pretty much. Uh, <laughs> Spurs, they hosted Norwich this morning. Uh, pretty regulation, 3-0 victory for, for Spurs, who have quietly snuck up to fifth and still have a game in hand as well. So they, they could actually sneak into the top four if they, they win their uh, rescheduled game in hand against Burnley, which is pretty wild to think that it wasn't that long ago that uh, Conte joined the club and they've won three three on the trot now. So uh, things looking up very much for um, for Spurs. And they did this as well with like a back three of what um, Ben Davies, um, uh, Eric Dyer and Sanchez, Sanchez as well. I mean, this is a back three that really have no right to be sort of even in like the top four qu- uh, sort of uh, conversation at the moment. But they're, they're doing I think a bit, I said, um, I think I, I don't know where I said it, but I think I said earlier in the week that um, it's strange that when when Spurs uh, sack a manager or something like this, they always they always seem like they're always in crisis, um, but they're always within their what is really Spurs' level. Uh, they're anywhere between fourth and seventh and they don't really mm. get any better or worse than that. But, you know, I, I don't know. It, it's strange. You know, they were only a couple of wins away from the top four with a game in hand and they sacked their manager for that. So, um, yeah, it's all a bit, I don't know, it's very Spursy. <laughs> yeah. Um, finally, the other match of uh, this uh, weekend's round was Aston Villa uh, knocked off Leicester. Uh, Leicester's poor form continues, uh, and Villa's good form under Steven Gerrard continues as well. Um, this time, Steven Gerrard was able to knock off his previous manager, Brendan Rodgers, uh, which was a little bit spicy. Um, but look, the result does see Villa go level on points with Leicester in 10th and 11th, respectively. Um, boys, a genuine uh, controversial moment, and like there, are, there is a lot of VAR moments that really sort of like Sky Sports and the like try to make an incident out of, and really just aren't. Um, but this one I thought was interesting, which was the the Villa disallowed goal, where um, Schmeichel for look half a second or like a, a hundredth of a second had his hand on the ball, and and that was deemed to be that he had the ball under control. Um, but as a Villa player, kicked it, uh, kicked the ball sort of out from underneath his hand. Do you think this one should have should have stayed a goal, or you think it was the right thing that it was it was called back? Goalkeepers are protected species, aren't they? Oof. <laughs> Hot take. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is they, a... are, they are though. He's right. Like they are. It's just like I think that. I think the really tough thing about this rule, though, is that like we're getting into um, rugby league areas is like down with pressure. Was it down with pressure? Um, yeah, very similar. Very similar. How much time does he have to have his hand on the ball? I mean, in fast speed, I think he would have been a very nervous goalkeeper um, thinking that he didn't quite get to it in time. But then when you slow it down, it does look like he got to it in time. So 
in rugby league, they have to apply common sense to, you know, did he get it down with pressure in real time as well? So that might be where they have to head to with uh, VAR. I mean, fortunately for the referees in this instance, this kind of thing, I can't remember the last time this has actually come up. I mean, I think I've seen this happen more in, in Sunday League than I've actually seen in, like, professional games where, like, a or the keeper's only had one hand on, on the ball um, and he's applying downward pressure, pressure as, as you described it. So, um, yeah, interesting, interesting times. But, look, very interesting times for Villa as they continue to shoot up the table and their resurgence under Stephen Gerrard. Um, boys, uh, two more games I want to mention. Uh, obviously, the the Liverpool derby with Everton uh, hosting Liverpool. Uh, Jesse, I'm sure you enjoyed that result with Liverpool winning 4-1 um, at Goodison. Uh, what, what was it the, the Liverpool fans were singing? Walk home, walk home. Yeah, they were singing walk home, walk home with hope in your heart to the Everton fans at <laughs> the early. Fantastic. I think they might Guys, have even I- been... I've got an interesting stat uh, about the Merseyside derby after this game. That that win by Liverpool at Goodison Park now means that Liverpool have won more Merseyside derbies at Goodison Park than Everton have at Goodison Ooh, Park. That's so wild, that's grim. <laughs> Poor bastards! Like no no one wants you don't want that to happen. Do you? feel feel bad for them? Um, <laughs> pathetic. Uh, <laughs> Uh, on the topic of Everton, though, they still have one game left to go this round. They host Arsenal. Obviously, Arsenal are in pretty decent form uh, after a really good November. Um, but, boys, do you, do you see any result other than an Arsenal victory, though? Well, you guys are pretty – I mean, we talked about this on the weekend. You were pretty confident that um, Everton just didn't have a chance in this game. This is the real – this is the acid test because – I don't know if you guys saw overnight, but the um, it looks like I think it's Brent, the um, director of footballs, uh, yep. got his marching orders, um, and the clubs actually uh, got rid of him. And that's all the fans who wanted his head because he's the one that apparently has been behind a lot of these failed transfers. Mm. So a lot of the pundits I was hearing on the on the um, BBC this morning were talking about that basically this is Benitez, uh, Benitez behind the uh, behind the scenes getting his sticky fingers in there and saying it's either me or the director of football goes and they've backed um, Rafa. Wow. Um, so so it is it is interesting because if that's the case, it, 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 Rafa does have a reputation for wanting complete control in these circumstances and he clearly wasn't happy with the uh, the transfers. And, and, you, and obviously you saw it in his interview as well where he's complaining kind of with what the situation was and what he'd inherited. So... The club's obviously had enough and they've got rid of the director of football. So tonight's game is going to be incredibly important to see how they react. I mean, I know they haven't got all the best players back, but they've got to show some metal. Mm-hmm. They have to. Um, yeah, the Go fans. My, my favourite sort of response to like and, and people sort of saying how, how they need to react to this situation is that they, need, they, they say that like uh, Everton will need to get a whole bunch of yellow cards to prove that they were getting stuck in. So it'd be interesting to see how many yellow cards Everton get tonight to see whether or not they were really playing with passion. So. Um, all right, boys, that that pretty much wraps things up for this week, though. Uh, but before we before we say goodbye, I've got a prize to give away as as part of more than a game FPL. First um, of December means Christmas decorations go up. Mariah Carey and Michael Bublé go into constant play in department stores, um, and it's also prize time. So look. Uh, Emma Watson has been absolutely weaving magic uh, this month on 
uh, on uh, in FBL and her team, Clop of the League, uh, scored 282 points for the month. So well done, Emma. Um, make sure you get in touch with us to uh, to collect your prize. So sure, uh, her team's called Hermione Granger's FC. <laughs> yeah, really missed a trick there, didn't she? <laughs> but um, yeah, Emma Emma actually won a prize last year as well, so she's a, a bit of a, an FPL gun. So yeah, um, oh, I missed an opportunity then. I should have said she was an FPL wizard. Damn it! <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> but look, that's uh, that's all we've got time for this week on More Than a Game. So thanks for tuning in and uh, enjoy the football. Yeah.